Welcome to The Protagonistas, a podcast that is centered on highlighting the stories and experiences of Black, Indigenous, and other women of color among communities of faith. Our conversations sit at the intersection of race, gender, sexuality, and spirituality. I'm your host, Kat Armas. Today I chat with Gina Aragon. She is a Jamaican, Filipina, Puerto Rican, children's book author, and spoken word poet who just published her second children's book titled Love Gave. Gina and I chat about theology, the Bible, identity, particularly her mixed identity or her inhabiting multiple worlds. We also talk a bit about the land of our ancestors and how it lives within us as it does with God's people in scripture. We chat about a theology of friendship and why adults need children's books. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And I'll chat with you next week for our recap. So welcome to The Protagonistas. So today I have uh, Kina Aragon with me, which I'm so excited to chat with you, Kina, about um, so many wonderful things. So thank you again for being with me. Um, so if you want to start by sharing um, just a little bit about your spiritual background, I'd love to ask folks like where, how has your understanding of God developed since you were a little kid? Um, yeah. Where are you now with your relationship with God um, and yeah, and your connection to God in general? Yeah, thanks for asking, and I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so for me, I was born in the Philippines um, to my Filipino slash Puerto Rican mom. My dad's from Jamaica, um, but raised in Orlando, Florida. And so, uh, you know, about the Philippines, a lot of people are Catholic. So my mom was, uh, you know, born and raised Catholic. So that's what she raised my sister and I in. Uh, so, you know, Catholic school, mass, uh, first to eighth grade, um, all the things. Uh, and for me, it, around middle school time is when I began to have spiritual questions. And I don't know if it was coming from a good faith kind of place. I think I was just happy with being, you know, an athlete and doing well in school and finding my identity in those things. And so, uh, but, you know, you had religion class with the nuns. And so I would ask, you know, well, how do we know virgin birth is true? How do we know Islam's not true? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just have those questions. And again, I don't, I don't know if it was coming from a truly like I'm seeking, you know, kind of place, but, um, I think what was kind of difficult about that, though, was the answer I would often get was just have faith. And yes, we should obviously have faith, but there wasn't necessarily any, in my experience, much emphasis on uh, what does the Bible say? Why can we trust the Bible and, and things of that nature? Um, so I just kind of went on my merry way and I eventually went on to to high school, a big public high school. So going from like one of the two black people in your private school to then being like, well, in, you know, in Orlando, Puerto Rican, black, like a very mixed high school and being like, well, people actually look like me out there. Um, and there are different beliefs and, and all this stuff. So for me going into high school was, oh, I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna excel in sports. I'm gonna excel in school, find my identity in those things. And um, around my sophomore year is when I began to realize is how empty that was, you know, having the 
popularity or the boyfriend or all the things that mattered to me in high school and, and just feeling empty. And I, I often compare my spiritual journey to the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, you know, you get, it's like chasing after the wind. It's, you know, you, you're rich, you die, you're poor, you die, you're, you're wise, you're a fool, you die. Uh, we all have the same end. And, and I, I felt like that reality kept haunting me for quite a while. And it really haunted me to the point of, one day just being in my room, I think it was my sophomore year in high school and just breaking down. I had a, uh, you know, a tita and tito, um, uh, aunt and uncle from the Philippines, my, my ninong and my ninang, which is like your god godparents, they would always send a, a Bible pretty much all the time as my gift and I would never read them. <laughs> and it was just collecting dust there. And, and I had this breakdown where I was like, it, nothing matters. Like what? what's the point of living? Uh, Not that I was suicidal, but I just was like in this existential crisis. So I picked up the, the Bible and I was, you know, weeping, uh, picked it up, didn't know a single thing about how to read that thing or about genres or anything. So I just picked through it, you know, open in the middle It was Psalm 69. And I just remember thinking the Bible was all of these rules and, you know, King James type language, old English that I, I couldn't understand. And I open in the middle and it's like, save me, I'm drowning. I have more enemies than hair on my head. You know, answer me with your sure salvation. And I was like, the Bible talks like that? Like, right. just that drew me. And uh, and I just was like, I, I relate to that. I don't know any single thing about context or anything, but I do relate to what that's saying. And had a friend in my volleyball team who was a Christian, like pretty much the only Christian I knew at that time. And I just being nervous to talk to her face to face, which is how I, I tend to be. I, I tend to be better at writing things than, <laughs> than uh, you know, coming off the, off the top of the head. But I, I wrote her a long, long, unnecessarily long letter <laughs> saying, uh, can you just explain some of this God stuff to me? And essentially, I was asking her to share the gospel with me without knowing how to articulate that. Um, and she was obviously excited to share with me on yeah. the way to a volleyball game, sit, sat next to me on a bus, used a gospel track that had little illustrations. And, um, and that's really the first time I remember the gospel becoming real to me. I'm sure I heard it, you know, at mass before, but I it just, it didn't make any sense to me before until that moment. It felt like the Holy Spirit had drawn me and opened my eyes. And I was like, yeah, this, I cannot, especially you know, with my Catholic background, it was helpful to learn, you know, Ephesians 2, that I can't work, my works are not good enough, you know, and, and learning, you know, just all of these things at once, I just was like, yeah, I want, I want that, I want this, I want the Lord, and um, yeah, prayed that night, and um, came the next day at school, was like, okay, so what do I do now? <laughs> so she she and her mom kind of took me under their wing for the first couple years. And her parents were a part of a ministry called the Impact Movement, which was, mm-hmm. or is, I guess, a part of Campus Crusade for Christ that uh, that would try to reach students on college campuses of African descent. Granted, I was in high school, but their headquarters happened to be in Orlando. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how I got connected with that ministry. And the first few years of my journey just being under um, teaching and discipleship from black men and women, uh, which now in hindsight, I realized was crucial uh, for me and and so helpful. Uh, Then my college journey is kind of a long story, but long story short, went into 
college, was a part of that ministry, trying to start a chapter at my school at University of South Florida in Tampa, um, trying to reach, you know, students of African descent, which is how I ended up developing some of my, you know, friendships to this day. Uh, then got a part, became a part of a white reformed um, church that I grew a ton in, um, but later on uh, realized some some serious spiritual abuse um, mm-hmm. issues and racism and things of that nature. Um, and so my journey has been, I feel like, especially with doing spoken word poetry and stuff like that, you get exposed to different because of performing, like you go to these different churches and experience mm-hmm. different kind of shades of, of Christianity. And um, so it really is like your question said, like, it's truly a journey. I'm still unlearning so many things and relearning and trying to understand what was the cultural context behind the things the Bible is saying, because so much of my own culture and, and previous teaching it has influenced the way I'm looking at it. Um, if anything, I hope I'm a little bit more humble than, <laughs> than I was maybe five, five, 10 years ago um, in approaching it and, and, and being a little bit more curious and inquisitive. So uh, yeah, that's where I'm at now. Yeah, so good. Okay, I have so many follow-up questions. But um, <laughs> the first one is I, I loved what you shared about the Bible, how you had no idea what, what the heck you were reading. Basically, you just open it and it just made so much sense to you. That um, really reminds me of, of a part of my story. I had like this sort of yeah existential spiritual crisis um, when I was in my early 20s. I was a little older. But I remember, like, I didn't really understand much about the Bible. I didn't, you know, but I just knew I had to read it, right? So one day I just picked it up <laughs> and I opened the book of James. And I just remember, like, oh, my gosh, this makes so much sense. You know, it was just like this, like, whoa. You know, um, it talked about how the tongue and be careful about, you know, what comes out of your mouth and mm. all these things. And and I just remember, like, oh, and I, I love that because, you know, I, I love the Bible. I talk about it and I study it. And, you know, that's what I want to continue in my education is looking at a decolonial reading of scripture. But mm. um, as I, you know, read scripture, there are so many ways that I dissect it. And I, you know, with a magnifying glass and I can look at this Hebrew word or this Greek word and you, you know, tease it apart. But then there are other times where you just like read something and it, you become like this weepy, slobbery mess. And you're like, <laughs> how did that happen? Right. Mm. Like, it's just so there's so much that can happen with just one passage, mm. <laughs> you know, it's, yes. it can be like this emotional, you know, awesome, intimate experience with God. And in other ways, you're just like trying to dissect it and figure it out. So I just love that about it. And I love that that's, yes. you know, some a part of your story. Um, you also talked about um, how you've been in so many different spaces. And because of that, that um, has just really humbled you. And that's something that for me, I, I I always say that the more that I learn about God, you know, particularly as someone who's been through so much seminary education, the less I realize I know about God, right? Mm, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, we know when I get into conversations with people and I used to be very, you know, yeah, like reformed and, and this is how it has to be. And this is how you have to believe. And, the, you know, all these things and five points of, you know, tulip mm-hmm. and all these things that I was so serious and, and so, you know, whatever about. Um, but then the more that I just like learned about theology and the more that I learned about how different people read the Bible, the more I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, I don't yeah. know. I say that I summarize my seminary experience by, I don't know is a sacred declaration. So that's become <laughs> like my, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, obviously there are things that you should be sure. Yes. Um, okay. So uh, I, I did want to um, talk about your mixed identity. So you are Jamaican, Filipina, and even Puerto Rican. Um, and so with that, I did want to ask a follow-up question about 
you said that you uh, were born in the Philippines and then you came to Orlando. Um, mm-hmm. So I would love to hear about that transition from the Philippines to Orlando. Now, I know, you know, coming from Miami, I know Orlando is obviously a super diverse place. So I think it's a good place to end up in coming from yeah. another country. Um, but I would love to hear just more about that transition and also just about your mixed identity in general, um, how you hold all these worlds within yourself um, and yeah, how has it shaped your reality, your experiences, and um, some of the beauty and struggles that come or came with it? Because I know that there's obviously yeah. both in there. So yeah, if you want to talk mm-hmm. to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, sim- similar to the spiritual journey, it is a journey of of I, mul- multiple identity crises and uh, wrestling through who, who am I and how, how am I presented into the, uh, how do I walk through this world? How do I navigate it? Um, so I don't remember the transition because I was only nine months old when I moved <laughs> from the Philippines to to the states. Um, but in my family, as in many families, sac- uh, you know, stories are so sacred and so important. And so it, a lot of times, even though when I tell people, you know, I moved from the Philippines to the states when I was nine months old, so obviously I don't remember it. But I feel like I do, and I feel like I've had this strong connection with the Philippines because. So, me- so many of my family members are still there and they tend to be the ones that actually travel to the States and back versus, you know, uh, versus the other way around. Um, and because of our storytelling, our family is such a storytelling family. It feels like, yeah, I was there when when that thing right. happened with my grandma, you know. Um, so for me, culturally, I've o- and my identity has mainly been Filipina in my mind, Um as a kid, I mean, because my, my mom's family's huge, tight knit, loud, you know, obnoxious at times and <laughs> and just loving. And we have all kinds of different views, but it's like this is family and, you know, we're going to kiss you and, and we're just going to, yeah, have have a lot of fun. So that's kind of for me, I was like, no, I'm Filipino. But obviously in a racialized society, I, I look black. I am black because I'm part Jamaican. And that I wasn't as connected to that, um, like my heritage on on that side when I was younger. And so I would get mad when kids or teachers would be like, oh, you're black. I'm like, but that's not Mm. that's not how I feel like like I'm I'm Filipino and and I'm Puerto Rican and I'm Jamaican. I felt Mm. like the the mix of things that I am should be held. I still feel like that, like that those all three of those heritages should be um, held, you know, and should be should be acknowledged. Um, and so, and then to it, you know, being in white spaces since I was a kid, you know, go, like I said, with private school, um, you learn, uh, you kind of, how they say it's more caught than taught, but you learn that African Americans are bad or that they're, you know, less than in, in different ways. And so uh, I didn't want to be associated with mm-hmm. black. Um, I felt weird, weird about that. And also just cause I, I didn't, I wasn't as familiar with, with the culture and just in my, my family upbringing. And so there was some internalized, you know, self-hatred or racism, mm-hmm. uh, within myself. And, and that's even something I'm still exploring to this day, but certainly when I was a kid, I, I can say that. Um, but then, like I said, when I did come to know the Lord, it was through a black friend of mine with a black family and a black ministry. And I was like, I felt like, uh, yeah, that was just so helpful for me um, to, to understand that and uh, grow into embracing 
my blackness, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, and now, yeah, my, my relationship with my dad has grown a ton, uh, even in the last couple years. And so we've talked a lot about <clears throat> my Jamaican heritage. And there's just some crazy and, and amazing stories uh, even there. But yeah, I think um, even though culturally I feel like I'm home when I'm around Filipino people, um, they might not see me in the same way, in the same light, because mm-hmm. obviously what I look like. Um, and there's a the struggle with language. Like I know some Tagalog, but I'm not fluent. Right. Um, I know some Spanish, but I'm not fluent. And mm-hmm. so, and I feel very much at home with Hispanic people too. <laughs> My husband's mm-hmm. Colombian and I met his loud, crazy family. And I was like, oh, wow, this is this is home yeah, too. It feels right. <laughs> yeah, but it's only home to a certain degree. So that's right. kind of some of the sometimes the struggle with being mixed is you're like I, I fit in but not fully. Um, mm-hmm. And for in my case, most, mainly because of the language, uh, me me not being fluent in in all of those languages. So uh, it's always been this kind of tension where like, where do I belong? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, as I've grown and experienced a little bit more of life and. I used to work in the hospital and I felt like, uh, and even being at USF, I felt like being mixed and having these different cultural backgrounds, um, it actually gave me an advantage to reach different people, to build with different people um, Mm -hmm. in ways that uh, maybe if I were, had just been a part of one culture or one heritage, that would have been a lot harder. Um, Mm -hmm. it, It doesn't feel as hard for me, so yeah yeah that's so good um i love how you talked about holding all these identities i feel like in the world that we live in you know it's not easy or not that it's not easy they don't the dominant culture doesn't necessarily know what to do with folks that hold multiple identities right um you know because it's so much easier to understand or it's so much easier to stick someone in a category if you're black or you're you know latina even though to be latina you know that can mean so many different things um and so i i'm always pushing for um you know myself or in just conversations or just in general um to kind of go away from any sort of binary or dichotomous way of thinking of myself um, and be able to hold, right, all these multiple identities, um, whether that's, yeah, you know, daughter, sister, um, you know, uh, Cuban-American, American, you know, all these things within me. And so I love that you're, you know, also on that journey and that process of, you know, celebrating and holding the multitudes within you, because I think that there's nothing more like God, right? Nothing more like the divine in us than to mm. be complex, complicated, multidimensional beings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that. And then I also love that you mentioned um, when you talked about how you came very young, so you don't remember, but you do, right? Because um, it's this collective cultural memory that we hold. I mean, I feel the same way about um, my family, you know, my family, it's like, I mean, I'm sure you've been to Miami, but Miami, there's so much um, Cuban, you know, there's so much Cuban culture. And it's like this um, longing for this land. And I always mm-hmm. say that, you know, I long for a land that I've never lived on. Mm-hmm. And that's just because of, of the the heaviness of what it means that honestly, land lives within us. And we see that so much in scripture, you know, like, the land lives within them. I mean, there's this longing for, for whether it's the promised land or longing for this land to call their own. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like there's so much depth in 
um, the idea that, yeah, yeah. that the land live, lives within us. And so I yes. love um, that you mentioned that, that you, you mentioned, like, I don't remember, but I do, you know, and this, there's yes. something in me that remembers that. So um, yeah, I just beautiful. have to say there is one song, my my Tito, my uncle, the one that actually would send me the Bible. He's like a famous singer, so random, but he's a famous singer <laughs> in, in the Philippines um, <laughs> since I was a little kid. So it, one of his old songs is called Babalik Karin, which is like it's a song about the the Filipino diaspora um, mm. and how many Filipinos have migrated to you know Australia and Saudi Arabia and America Um and it's it's the refrain is basically like you'll be back like you know mm-hmm. it's that yeah. i could probably cry talking about it woo um <laughs> but exactly what you said and that every time i hear that song i cry cuz i'm like mm-hmm. yeah that's how i feel about that land right, you right. know Right. Oh, that's so good. That's so I have beautiful. to stop. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Feel free. I know I totally get it. <sighs> this uh reminds me there's a a psalm that is uh it's actually a lot of Cuban theologians uh reflect on it very uh and now I just forgot the exact psalm which I shouldn't but but this psalm talks about <laughs> by the rivers of Babylon like we you know we sit and we weep you know and it's like this like longing and it's like you know, I, I want my land. I want my land. Mm-hmm. I want my place. I want my home, you know, and they're just like this longing and it's just so sacred and it's so, it lives in us, you know? And I think that that's just a testament again to the, who we are as complicated beings, you know, we're not, we're multidimensional. We're not one dimensional. It's not like, okay, yeah. we're here. So therefore, no, we're here, but we're there. And we hold this, you know, I, this space and these people, and, you know, these people live within you and people you've never met your ancestors, you know, all these things. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. And it's so, deep. um, so if you want to share that song, by the way, I would love to, you know, put in the show. Oh yeah, too. I will. I will. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Hey everyone. It's Kat. As a space for highlighting the stories of Black, Indigenous, and other women of color, this podcast has been important for so many listeners. And I would not be able to do this podcast if it weren't for the support of every single one of you. But beyond listening, you can help the show in other ways too. The first is obviously by heading over to your podcast app of choice and writing us a review. It helps the show greatly and doesn't cost you a dime to do it. That said, if you do have the funds to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash the protagonistas to learn more how your dollars can go to help fuel the growth of this podcast. For just a cup of coffee per month, you can keep this important work going. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash the protagonistas. Okay, so talking about, you know, our identities and, and all these complicated things. Um, so in a conversation with Sandra Van Opstel, I was listening to it. And you gave this awesome overview of sort of like a biblical theology, uh, uh, if you will, of our ethnic identities and what it means to be, you know, one in Christ and have your identity in Christ, but also honoring your heritage, who you are, honoring, um, you know, where you come from and that and the importance of that, right? That that God doesn't, you know, just because we are Christians or just because, you know, our identity is in Christ doesn't mean that our identity is not also in, you know, our people in our place. Um, so if you want to uh, speak a little bit to that, you know, um, what you what your view or what your, you know, biblical theology of identity or whatever you want to call it is, and how you came to wrestle with that and, and yeah, and come to know that. Yeah, I mean, how I came to wrestle with it was, like I said earlier, just being in different spaces. And some of those spaces, uh, taking passages like in Galatians or Colossians that talk about, you know, there's in Christ, there's no woman, no man, no Greek, no Jew, so on and so forth. And taking those passages and making it 
uh, essentially seem like my ethnic or yeah, my ethnic or cultural heritage is just irrelevant or erased um, or even a distraction from the real, the real issue at hand. Um, when really those passages are just talk, are, I think mainly getting at, Hey, in the world out there, there are social statuses that are, some are higher, some are lower. You have more value in the eyes of this particular society if you're if you're uh, a Jew or a, or a Greek or whatever. Obviously, if you're a slave versus free, so or free versus a slave. So they're saying in those passages, but in here in the church community in this society, those social categories have no bearing on power, on um, prestige or importance. Like th there are no social classes within the body of Christ, within the kingdom. Um, and so it doesn't mean we are, I mean, obviously we know that it doesn't, being in Christ doesn't mean I am now no longer a woman. Like, right. so we know that, but then somehow right. when it's like culture or ethnic heritage, it's like, oh no, no, no. Mm. You're making an, it's like so quick to say you're making an idol out of that thing. Um, being in Christ doesn't mean our ethnic heritage gets erased. It means it gets transformed to be more like Christ and beautiful in those ways. So I talk about, I just looking at revelation, I think 22 and how it talks about in the end, you know, in the new Jerusalem, the Kings from the different nations will bring their gifts, their tribute mm. to the King of Kings. And it's like, even then there's this national or cultural like expression of gifts like this diverse expression um but in short i mean when we look at like uh genesis 12 when god visits abram who is a gentile uh from mesopotamia um it, he is saying look i i'm gonna out of your body there is gonna come a nation and, and all of these promises right and what a part of that is that from your seed all the families, all the nations, all all of the those those nations are gonna be blessed. All the families of the earth, and so uh, Paul picks this up in Galatians um, and other places within the New Testament. But when you fast forward now, Christ is ultimately that seed that came from Abraham, and it his death and resurrection. Ephesians two talks about breaks down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile and any other di dividing walls of hostility between opposing people groups, because the offer of salvation, the offer of, Hey, do you want to be in this eternal kingdom? That offer is made to all the nations. And so diversity in, in the body of Christ is such a beautiful thing. Uh, and when we try to minimize it or ignore it or try to say, oh, that's that's a distraction. Um, we're actually minimizing the work of Christ because that's like a like he's fulfilling Genesis right. 12. And then obviously in the end of things in Revelation 7, for example, it talks about the great multitude from every mm -hmm. nation, all tribes and people and languages, and they're unified in that they're standing before the throne, before the Lamb, and they're crying out, salvation belongs to our God uh, and to the Lamb. And, and so they're unified in their worship of Jesus, but they're diverse. This, this mm -hmm. diversity is, is kept. And like you said earlier, that ultimately really reflects the character and nature of God, the fact that God even is a Trinity, um, right. that he is one God and 
three persons um, and has always been a diverse community and yet unified within himself. Um, and it reflects the the power of, of the cross, the power of the work of mm. Christ. Um, so yeah, I think that that's important for me. And I, th- yeah, but yeah. I think in general, we need to really celebrate the diversity within the body of Christ and say, man, it looks different. My expression looks different from yours, right. but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm. Um, so yeah. 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 Um, that just made me think of one of my favorite, uh, when I think about, um, the Imago day being made in the image of God, I like to think of it as not just individual, like you're made in the image of God, or I'm made in the image of God, which yes, that's part of it. But I also like to think of it as collective. So Mm. all of us collectively make up the, the grand image of God, right? So if we're not all, you know, if all of our, you know, identities and cultures and people groups and all these things, you know, together give us a grand picture of what it, you know, what the image of God is, right? Mm. So it's like this collective view of the image of God. Um, I remember sort of reading something to that at one point, and it just made so much sense. I was like, yes, like, if we don't have all women and men and, you know, children and people from all, you know, parts of the world, um, speaking to and, and, and speaking from their experiences um, to and from God, right? Um, then that gives us a grander picture and we can actually then really see what the image of God. So it's not just like I reflect the image of God, but all of us, right? So yes. it just made me think of that. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so you are a poet and you are an author. Um, I do, I, I want to ask you about your books, um, particularly, obviously, the book that just came out. But first, I thought I'd squeeze in a question. And I want to ask you about poetry. Um, how did you get into poetry? What does poetry mean to you? Um, what does it mean to be a poet? If you want to just talk to, to us <laughs> a little bit about that? I still get so uncomfortable because I'm like, I'm not real. This isn't real. Like, I'm not really... <laughs> That's, I'm, you know, I'm saying I like the what I got straight A's throughout my whole schooling life. The one D minus, I think it was, or D plus, either way, this is how much it scarred me. I'm like thinking about is it a D plus or two? Anyways, the one D I got was in poetry. It was a poetry oh, test in English. <laughs> so whenever I get that question, I'm like, oh, that's insecurity. Like, I don't, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> at the same time for me it's if I was not good at writing creatively before I was I was good at academic writing and presentations and stuff like that but whenever we'd have the poetry section in English class in high school I just was I I wasn't even interested and I wasn't good and um then like I said the Lord saved me when I I was a sophomore in high school or maybe a junior either way um and after that my friend who shared the gospel with me, I saw her older sisters do like a spoken word piece for their mom's birthday. And I was like, Ooh, that's, that's cool. And I've always liked hip hop, but, um, it, so to my surprise, as I began to grow my relationship with God and journal and things of that nature, um, what would come out in my journal would be poetry. I'm like, wow. Oh, okay. Um, and the youth group I was in and, and an English teacher um, from my high school picked up on that and was putting together a spoken word, like a poetry slam, um, like our, our high school's first one. So she was like really oh. eager to put it together and get different poets. So she was like, hey, you're going to do this. You're going to memorize it and you're going to perform it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so um, as a really new believer, that was kind of like my coming out, if you will. Um, my, mm-hmm. hey, 
I'm no longer mainly identifying myself as, you know, athlete or whatever. I am a Christian and, uh, and I'm able to do that, express that creatively. And, and the effect of that, um, there was like back-to-back performances, like 300 to 500 kids at a time. Wow. And I, I was seeing people come up to me after like in tears and like, oh man, I never thought of it like that. Or you really mm-hmm. helped me. And, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is like helping somebody. Um, and to this day, I still get that shock. Like, you know, when somebody gives me feedback, how they, or in the case of the children's books, how their kids are impacted. I'm like, wow, this is actually mm-hmm. really a gift. Like, and I don't take it for granted because I wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, this is a gift from the Lord and I want to use it and not uh, waste it. Uh, and yeah, part of my spiritual journey as a woman was being in some spaces that would have me minimize that and say, mm-hmm. that's really not, let's, let's try to keep it very marginal and to the side. Yeah. And, and I'm, thank God, like out of that mindset, like where I'm like, no, this is a gift God gave me. It's serving other people. And I want to use it um, as much as possible um, to help and, and to help bring to life some of the things that, that delight my heart or challenge me. And um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of been my journey with poetry. That's amazing. Honestly, I literally got goosebumps. You're like, oh, my first, my only D. And I was like, no. <laughs> wow, that's that's beautiful, though. I mean, that really, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so, okay, talk to me about then your first book um, titled Love Made, correct? Yes. And, yeah. and so before you talk to me about specifically the book, I want to hear um, what made you write a, ch- a children's book? And yeah, like what, how that process was. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't mean to. So I was, (laughs) I was like, my friend was having, my friend and I were pregnant at the same time. And uh, which was really cool. And she happened to live in my neighborhood and everything. And she was going to have her baby shower. And she was like, Hey, do you have any, you know, spoken word pieces on children or the delight of, you know, and I was like, no, because I have, you know, I've never been there. So I've never written about it. Um, Well, the day of her baby shower, I was praying and I what I was praying about was just thanking God for the privilege of being pregnant. And, um, and that was a whole story in and of itself. Cause I wasn't thrilled about it at first. And then by this time in the pregnancy, I was very thankful after health challenges and all this stuff. And so I was thanking God. And then I just kept thinking about the Trinity and how, yeah, it's like, like I said earlier, the unified community of love and creation as an overflow of the love that the father has for the son by the power of the spirit and that love it kind of exploding or overflowing to make creation and how that for me related to my husband and I being in a healthy good marriage in which we are one flesh you know we are one um, we're unified in our marriage and yet we're two different people and our love overflowed so to speak um, to make a a baby. And that's not everybody's story, obviously, but in, it was my story. And so I, I was like blown away by that as I was praying. And right when I finished praying, I just wrote it and I was, it was just in one sitting and that's my first book. So my first Whoa. children's book. Um, so you wrote the whole book in one sitting? Yeah. It's great. I, and I don't think I really edited it either anyways, but um, that doesn't always happen. Obviously, <laughs> usually it takes like, multiple, but in those cases, you're just like, well, this is right, a crazy yeah. moment. Um, so I texted my friend was like, Hey, I do have a piece now. So I read it, uh, you know, for her shower that day and everybody's crying. And like, I was like, Oh wow. Okay. Again, that same reaction, like, Oh wow, this is actually helpful. Um, 
and I still wasn't think I was thinking, you know, this would be a cool children's book, but I have no connections in the publishing. I don't I have no idea even where I would start. So instead, I did have a connection with a guy who does these animation videos. He usually does it to Christian music. His name's Chris Powers. He does um, this ministry called Full of Eyes. And um, I asked him, would you be open? I had worked with him before. So I was like, would you be open to doing one on sp- with a spoken word piece, a little different? And he was like, yeah, totally. So I had my friend Alex produce it. And then we, we made this video. And it kind of blew up. Um, and then... A literary agent saw it, reached out and was like, hey, do you want to make this a book? And I thought it was fake because it was via <laughs> Facebook Messenger. And I was like, this, that's not real. Um, but thank, you know, I looked into him and he was legit. So and he still is. He's an awesome agent. Um, and so anyways, he he's the one who got me into the publishing world and, and okay. put my my manuscript in front of, of publishers and allowed for me to to be published so it was like a chain of events yeah and (laughs) the crazy thing too is like before the agent reached out a few months before that I it was going into the new year and I was thinking about my goals and I was just praying and I it wasn't a very serious goal for me that year but I was like I did write it down and I said Lord I would like to look into children's literature because I enjoy it so much um I like to try my hand at it but yeah I just so that was it. That was like my prayer. And then and then it was like a few months later, an agent like, let's get this published. I'm like, OK, wow. that's not what I was expecting. But um, but yeah, so I didn't mean Incredible. to, but I'm very, very thankful to be a part, you know, contributing yeah. to that world. Oh, that's amazing. So do you want to tell us a little bit? Um, so you look at the creation narrative through a Trinitarian lens, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, the, what I the Mm-hmm. The content of my prayer was just that. And so uh, the first book, Love Made, it retells the creation mm-hmm. story through with poetry uh, through a Trinitarian mm-hmm. lens. Obviously, um, love overflowed uh, mm-hmm. within the Trinity to make, make creation. I connect that to how much uh, a child is loved. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm talking right. to my daughter, but obviously it can apply to other situations where yeah, mommy, mommy and daddy love you so much, um, too. And so it kind of has that paradigm of of parenthood to child. Mm -hmm. Then the second book, Love Gave, um, continues that story. So now it introduces the problem of sin um, and why we need a savior. And and I use the paradigm of it's still through a Trinitarian lens. It's still poetry. It's kind of the same style of poetry. Uh, But I use a paradigm of friendship this time. Mm which I think is even more relatable than the first book, but um, Jesus, you know, he told, told the kids, uh, let the, let the children come. And um, so I, the illustrations are really beautiful and just so uh, just delightful to see Brown Jesus uh, mm-hmm. interacting with, with kids and uh, playing with them and just, yeah. So I, I've seen the impact it's had on my daughter and I've heard other testimonies. I'm, I'm really thrilled about that. And then the third book, which will come out at some point next year, will kind of round it out. We'll finish out the series and it'll be highlighting the work of the Holy Spirit. So, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that so much. Um, so do you want to elaborate a little bit? I love that you focus on this theology of friendship and I know that you, you know, obviously you just touched on it, but I don't know if you want to like speak a little more to that. What does a theology of friendship, I guess, mean to you as an adult and obviously like as you interpret that, um, to Mm -hmm. children, like just, you know, maybe elaborate a little bit on that. 
Yeah, um, Tim Keller has this really good sermon on this that I, that really impacted me. That I think impacted my writing for this. Um, but what he talks about how in our modern culture, how friendship isn't really valued like that. It's like it's you, if you look at when you're checking out at the grocery store, the magazines. What what are they talking about? Who's sleeping with who? It's all about roman- romance and and that sort of relationship. Um, but no, nobody's really worried about who's friends with who. <laughs> um, and so uh, in the beginning, God walks with Adam and Eve. And if I'm not mistaken, that's, that's kind of a, I guess, metaphor or whatever for friendship right. um, that you're walking with somebody. And so there's this friendship there between Adam Eve and, and God. And where that friendship is broken, it's amazing to me that when you fast forward all the way to John 15 and Jesus is like, I'm laying my life down you as friends. Like, and I, I'm calling you friends. You're not merely slaves, which even goes back to the creation story. It was that love existed, overflowed. And it, by God creating us, he's inviting us into that love relationship that he's eternally enjoyed as his children. And even as Jesus says in John 15, as his friends. And so um, when I think about my daughter's age group, she's five and the things that concern her is, uh, or that she talks about a lot is, oh, so-and-so is my best friend. This is my friend. Or like, she thinks everybody's her friend. So it's, you know, that's the whole thing, but she'll see somebody across the street. She's like, that's my best friend. (laughs) So she, she's thinking a lot about, (laughs) friendship and um who you know who could she be friends with and well i just think that's a a easy you know transition to say look god you know god wants to be your friend too which i mean it's essentially covenant right like he wants to be in relationship with you um and uh yeah so i just felt like that was the obvious like metaphor paradigm to use um for for that age group and even as adults i mean obviously friendships are important to us Mm -hmm. as well and um so i think it could be helpful either way yeah yeah no that's so good i am right there with you i i think about that a lot i know i i was actually thinking about it last year because i spent christmas with just like two friends of mine you know we went up to san francisco and it was like this beautiful almost like sacred time of just like friends enjoying you know none of us are with family none of us you know and we were like man like we should um develop more of a robust theology of friendship because Mm -hmm. it is so healing and it is so necessary and yeah so undervalued so i really love that um okay so my last question uh you wrote an article titled why suffering adults need children's books and i thought it was such a good um article i thought it was such a good thought um why you know, whether it's suffering, I think maybe just adults in general, obviously, particularly suffering, but adults in general need children's books. So if you want to talk about why adults need children's books, or even particularly why suffering adults need children's books. Mm, Yeah, in that article, I talk about the fetal position, you know, like in psychology, like the fact that we get back into this fetal position, like when we're in our mother's fetus, when this, when a trauma may happen, or something crazy happens, right. And, And it's like our body protecting our our organs that are in the front by protecting it with our back. And I think when we suffer, something like that happens spiritually, if you will. Uh, when Jesus talks about uh, you must become like little children, he elevates these kind of seen as unnecessary people in his society and say, no, 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 you need to pay attention to children. You see their childlike faith, their humility, their um, their eagerness to believe things. Like that's that's how you you need to to be um, in order to be in the kingdom. 
I think suffering brings us to that kind of feet. We get back into our mother's fetus. We get back into this childlike dependence on the Lord. Um, but at the same time, suffering can threaten our faith, obviously. Um, and so what children's books do is it takes, I, I think, in, in my experiences, it takes our growing cynicism through the suffering that we're experiencing and our hope that's dying, and it renews it by tapping into that childlike imagination, by helping you be like, oh, I have to become like a child to be here. I, I need to tap into that childlike imagination. And I think good children's books allow us to imagine when, when the world is just crashing. And then two, I think when, when you're, when you're just going through it and it, you turn around and it's a crisis everywhere and, and just life is falling apart. In my experience, I don't have the capacity, the energy, the anything to be able to go read some big treatise on suffering and God and, right. you know, five commentaries on Job. Like I'm not, I don't, I don't have right. that. Like I don't have that right now, but I can, you know, pick up right. a, a kid's fiction book or, or even just a picture book and be reminded of just the simple rock solid foundational truths that are keeping me um, and so, and then, you know, you see in kids books, all the kids are scared of the dark. And so are we like kids are scared of the dark. Cause you don't know what's, what's out there. And some adults are scared of the dark too, but, um, but we're also scared of the dark metaphorically in that, like right. everything's so uncertain. We live in, you know, we've ever since the fall, we've always lived in such a time of such uncertainty and, and life is scary. And so I feel like children's books, when it, when it talks about characters that are going through that, it kind of dignifies um, like our fearful hearts. Like yeah. I get, you know, and, and in the same way that if, if we're compassionate at all, you know, with our children, we're not slapping them <laughs> when they're like afraid that, right. that, that because of the dark, no, we're, we're getting on our knees. We're calmly talking to them and we forget like the Lord is like that with us. Mm-hmm. And so we can, and I think children's children's books kind of draw that out of us. Like, Oh, that little kid in the story, like I'm him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've always valued um, reading children's books. Even just the other week I was at Barnes and Noble, just reading as much as I could um, and just being so, so helped uh, by them. Uh, but especially when we're suffering, I think they can be really helpful in that way. That's so good. I love that so much. Um, I do love how you mentioned imagination. I think that, yeah, when we grow up, we kind of lose a lot of our imagination and a lot of our creativity in that sense, right? Um, and and yeah, and a lot of the simple things, you know, one of the things that I'm, you know, like I said, the more that I um, study heavy theology, the more that I want to simplify, you know, or under-spiritualize, you know, I realize that so much of what we read in scripture, we do over-spiritualize so much when a lot of things are just like, kind of, you know, Jesus is like, hey, feed the poor. We're like, well, what is, no, just feed the poor, right? Like, you don't have to think about it too too deep. You know, I posted something about this on Instagram recently, but I was reading through Genesis 6 and and uh, like a couple days ago, and it kind of just struck me. It was like the passage where, the passage kind of explains sort of why God was like, you know, why, why God sent the flood, right? And um, I remember, you know, years ago, sort of like this theological gymnastics folks would do, you know, about the Nephilim and the divine beings, yeah. you know, it, you know, having sex with the women and all these mm-hmm. weird things. And, and I just remember like, 
you know, being so confused by all that, right? And as I was reading a couple days ago, it literally just says in verse two, like, sons of God were basically objectifying, like saying like the women of, you know, the women of man were beautiful and taking whichever they wanted. You know, and it was almost like simple. And then right mm-hmm. after that, it's like, yeah, and then God sent the flood because, you know, everything was corrupt. And I was like, man, like it was, maybe it was just as simple as like, just women being objectified and like, right. just take, you know what I mean? And it was like, yeah. I'm sure, you know, other, th- other more complicated things were part of it. But, you know, if sometimes we over-spiritualize so much that we miss like simple, profound things, like don't take women, however, you know, like don't objectify yeah. and take women, you know, but mm-hmm. anyway, um, I was thinking of that as you were speaking, because yeah, we, we do lose so much of our childlike faith, um, mm-hmm. our imagination and our creativity. Um, and we, um, over whatever you want to call it, uh, over spiritualize or whatever, um, our fears or whatever's happening in the world. Um, we want to put so much theological language to it when a lot of times, like you said, like, yeah, a lot of us are afraid of the dark. We're afraid of what Mm -hmm. we don't know, you know, just Mm -hmm. like children. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's just more complicated. And so, um, children's books, like you said, just help us, you know, simplify, um, that in a way and reconnect, you know, to the, the child in us. Um, so yeah. So good, mm-hmm. so good, so good. Thank you so much for writing that article and for for writing your books. I mean, I'm super excited um, to get my copies and um, yeah, to eventually read them to my future children. Yes. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so yeah, I would love to um, have you share with folks like where they can find you or follow you or what else they can learn about you if you'd, you know, if you want to share any of that. Sure. Well, the easiest way is just go to my website, Kina Aragon. That's Q-U-I-N-A. And then Aragon is A-R-A-G-O-N.com. Um, I try to link to all the things I'm doing there. Uh, and then social media, I'm Kina underscore Aragon on pretty much everything. Uh, well, nowadays, I don't know what the cool kids, the little kid, you know, the younger people use. Uh, yeah. But I just use Instagram and Twitter mainly. <laughs> so right, right, right. yeah, stick to those two. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kina. This was such a great conversation. Um, thank you for your robust theological thoughts and your, yeah, all of your wonderful work. Um, and for being, you know, for, I love that you take these complicated topics and you simplify them, um, in ways that are digestible and not just in children's books, but in poetry and in spoken word. Um, and so, yeah, we definitely need more of you in the world. So thank you so much for all that you're doing. Thank you so much for listening to The Protagonistas. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.